Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 122 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to examining the works of writer, director, producer J.J. Abrams and his extended Bad Robot universe. I'm Matt Crandall, here with my co-host Marcelo Inestroza as we continue our rewatch of Fringe Season 4. Today we are talking about episode 18 and 19. The first episode, The Consultant, aired April 13th, 2012, written by Christine Lavaff, directed by Jenot Swarks, and Marcelo, you better buckle up because you might be on a plane and all of a sudden you might find yourself in another universe. This episode was so much fucking fun from start to finish because this episode addresses something that you and I have been wanting to be addressed for weeks on end. This episode confronts the possibility of a mole within the alternate fringe team's side. So this so this episode uh, reveals who the mole is and the way that it does that is really, really fascinating. Uh, when, when the mole is revealed, and look, if you're watching along with us, you've probably seen fringe before, so I won't keep it a big secret. The mole is the other side's Agent Broyles. And the and the reason that the fringe writers give him for 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 basically becoming a turncoat and working with David Robert Jones to do something is really really it's understandable but it's still really frustrating to see him turn the way that he does but again the reason why it's understand it's it's completely understandable and I get it but it still fucking hurts the case of the week. I mean, when um, when that guy, uh, when when that when, when that boss guy was yelling at one of his employees because he didn't do something in time to do a presentation, and then he just floats up in the air. I'm like, that's awesome. And after um, after our Walter goes to the alternate universe to to consult on that case, and he finds out that the injuries that this guy sustained when he took off were only possible in a plane accident. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? So the writing this week was excellent. Yeah, I think the mystery of the week worked better because they brought Walter in and had our Walter cross over to the other side to work on this case. So the fact that it was the first time we've seen this version of Walter cross the bridge and him getting ready for it and wanting to use the bathroom before and all that stuff was really funny. And I liked that. And so giving Walter more to do in the mystery of the week made that more engaging. And the overall larger story of the David Robert Jones and the mole, we have known for 10 to eight episodes that it was Broyles, but this is the first episode where the characters know that it's Broyles. So I liked how we uncover that, that we have known that he has been helping David Robert Jones since his return and that tracking situation, but to watch as... Lincoln starts to put the pieces together and realize something is is worse here and watching as Nina has been locked up and their next steps to try and figure out what Jones's plan is. Because even as this goes before they capture Broyles and realize it's him, they still aren't sure why all this escalation is happening. And they're still trying to put all of those pieces together to figure it out. And even when Olivia on the other side they float the theory that it could be Broyles and she tries to get Nina to confirm whether this is the case or not by saying we've we've captured Broyles he told us everything and she goes yeah you might have told you everything but you can't stop whatever's coming it's already 
we're past the point of no return. So even if you guys know that Broyles is working with us, you know, team bad, it's too late. And so we're like, okay, what, what is too late? What has been done? And this whole thing with the two universes at, with the mystery of the week, we start to learn a little bit more about somehow Jones's plan to synchronize the universes and whatever he's trying to do gets, gets deeper. So I thought that they did a really good balance of playing the long game that we've been following and making it so that that mystery of the week of these people who are being killed in bizarre ways because their other selves are dying was really well done and kept my interest the whole time where some of the past mystery of the weeks lately have been really dull. What did you think about the way that they handled um, full Olivia this week? Cause I really think that she really pulled my heartstrings this week because for the most part, she is still suffering through the death of her, um, her Lincoln. So I, I, I really, really felt her pain and her anguish and her need to figure out who the person was, who the person is that was, was responsible for her partner's death and the way that she should have used that to figure out the grander plan by questioning Nina uh, while she was in custody, I thought was really great. Also, I think the chemistry between full Olivia and, and our Lincoln is getting better and better and better. And I think it's only a matter of time before he asks to stay over there permanently. Yeah, and even by the end of this, he's certainly not planning on going home anytime soon. They give Anna Torv a lot to work with as the other Olivia, and they have softened her a lot and made her more likable, especially in her grief, and then in her, you know, I gotta get the bastards who did this, so she buckles down to be part of the team, and her and Lincoln working together and theorizing you can tell that that's what they're setting up. You can tell that they're setting up a romantic relationship. Lincoln Lee's longing looks at our Olivia are now aimed at this Olivia. And they're going to find a way that, you know, even though he looks like her dead partner, they are going to find comfort somehow in that he does not feel at home in our universe, but he's really starting to find his place. Now that the other Lincoln is dead, he can kind of, it's gross that he can step into his shoes and take over in that universe. But it makes sense in a way that that feels natural, especially because before we started going to other universes, we never knew Lincoln Lee. So if our universe doesn't have a Lincoln Lee, that's almost like putting things back to where we started, which is fine by me. And the one thing that I didn't like about this episode, and I kind of, I, I, I thought they kind of missed an opportunity. The fact that Walter goes over to the other side to consult on this case, and he, and the fact that our Walter doesn't meet up with his doppelganger or Walter Net, I thought was a, I thought was a missed opportunity. And with the, te- and with the technology at the time, they, they could have done it. I didn't understand why the writers didn't construct a reason as to why our Walter had to go to Liberty Island to see Walter Net. Yeah, they probably just, we were already doing double duty with Broyles and with Olivia and Astrid that maybe they just thought we don't need to have more people doing double duty because not even doing any duty. Joshua Jackson is not in this episode. He took this episode off. And to be honest with you, I was kind of pissed that 
he took next week off except for one scene as well. So, like, I don't know where the fuck this guy was, but in episodes that we're talking about today, Joshua Jackson is only in three and a half minutes uh, tops. So I think that maybe they just thought it was simpler. But I do like that we do get both broils in a very key scene. We do see a lot of the other Astrid, and we're starting to really get to know the other side's Astrid and her quirks and the way that she operates. And as you mentioned, when... We have known this whole time that it was Broyles. We weren't sure what his motivation was. And when they say it is because Jones is helping him with medication for his son, who has been suffering these long-term effects from the Candyman case that we already knew about in past seasons, I thought that it was a good way to tie it together. Also, the only the only other thing, though, is that you get a little bit frustrated because Broyles being in such a position of power and having so many resources, couldn't he have talked to team fringe and seen if scientists on their side could come up with this drug and help his son rather than helping the terrorist organization so that he can help his son. It's one thing to see a story where like a man with no means has to go to extraordinary lengths of treachery to save someone he loves. But Broyles has all the resources in the world. How could he not get a crack team on this to help his son rather than having to turn to the villain? That's the only thing that I understood it. I accepted it. But when I think about it long term, I start to have questions. Yeah, well, my my one rebuttal to that is maybe he did think think about that to some extent, but maybe David Robert Jones threatened him in some particular way. Maybe, you know, maybe Jones said, listen, I know you're a smart man, and if you go to your counterparts or if you try and alert the authorities to what is going on here, I'm not only going to kill your son, but I'm going to take your wife too. Maybe that was enough threat to sort of repel, you know, all broils from from asking for help. Now, granted, um, as a fan of the show and as a writer, I shouldn't have to do that. Like, like, like when when writing an episode like this. I would try to cover as many bases as 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 I could, but there were but there will always be little little inconsistencies within the stories um, that fans like us will just notice and will pick apart. But that's part, you know, you know that's a part of the gig, I think. Yeah, we just got to roll with it because my rebuttal to you would be, well, when Jones just comes to Broyles' house for popcorn on movie night and Broyles shows up and is like, the fuck, he could murk that guy right there with all just cause, get away with it, no problem. And then his family is no longer in danger because he's killed the bastard. So there you go. There's there's plenty of opportunity. We just got to roll with it. But I do like that because they knew that we would be a little bit frustrated that Broyles has gone down this road. They do ultimately give their Broyles redemption in the fact that when we think he is going to Liberty Island to plant the device and do some sort of horrible bombing or whatever it is that's going to happen with the device he is actually going there because he has called the other side and he is turning himself in and the device to the authorities before actually going through with jones's plan so even though olivia and lincoln are chasing him he's actually going to do the right thing it's not like they got there just in time and convinced him to do the right thing he was doing the right thing of his own accord, and that goes a long way. The fact that uh, this version of Broyles was put in a really, really difficult situation, a situation that 
you know, no parent should have to be put in. Like I said, it's understandable, but it, it kind of really pissed me off and it made me upset that he was put in this situation. But ultimately, like you said, I really like he didn't complete the last request that Jones made of him. And instead, he tr- he, he decided to come clean and he decided to pay for his transgressions in the way that he did. So I thought that I, I thought that that was really, really, really well done. And that was consistent with both versions of Broyles. Yeah, it was good. And where we leave off is them locking Broyles up and Nina looking at him and saying, like, you know, shit's going down. Even if you have turned turned yourself in, you can't stop what's going to happen next. And what happens next is not related to the story that we just talked about. So anybody who was like, I can't wait to see where this current thing is going, hasn't been paying attention because usually in the 19th episode of Fringe Seasons, they do something completely fucking weird. And in Letters of Transit, episode 19, that aired April 20th, 2012, written by Akiva Goldsman, J.H. Wyman, and Jeff Pinkner, directed by Joe Chappelle, they go completely off the fucking rails with just leaving everything we've been caring about behind. They open with a scroll like Blade Runner or Robocop, like some old school sci-fi movie Escape from New York that tells us what, what shit has gone on since we've been gone. And it lets us know that in 2036, the observers have taken over and have become this weird totalitarian society fringe division polices the native humans to keep them in line and observers read people's minds to make sure that they're not planning anything to overthrow them. And the observers are the big bad and team fringe is trying to restore or keep some sort of balance between the observers and the natives. But a couple people inside fringe division are starting to maybe go rogue and work with the resistance. So Marcelo, Charlie, you're going to die. Desmond Hume shows up as a member of fringe team in this new 2036 timeline where I'm going to say it up front. I have a really hard time believing that everything we knew about the observers, they have seen everything happened. The time does not move in a linear fashion. Everything that has already happened has happened. How did they become the big bad all of the sudden when that is not their nature and not their mission that we have known? And that does not jive with anything I knew from 4.5 seasons of Fringe. Yeah, this episode, this episode really, really took me by surprise. I knew that this episode was on the way, but after, after being so engrossed with the story that we were told for almost all the season about this big plan being hinted at, from from the you know from David Robert Jones and from fake Nina to be to 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 start with an episode having to do with finding out that you know the alt version of Roy, the alt version of Broyles is a rat to go to this episode to where we're thrust into the future where the observers basically rule everything and the fringe the fringe division in the future is basically is basically uh, becoming like the resistance from Star Wars, I was like, um, I don't know if this works. Like, like, I, I, li- I like it just because number one, Desmond, holy shit, I, for- I totally forgot about that. 
And number two, I, I I'm really interested. I'm really interested to see what you have to say about her because we haven't talked about this yet. I really, really, really like Etta. I really like. I really. I, I love um, Henrietta. So it was really cool to see her come into the story the way that she does. This is cool, but I'm like, why? I I I really really want to ask the writers what compelled them to do this. Like 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 why did they do this? Did did they do this just to do something weird? Like 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 what like what you said because usually around the 19th episode of the season, the fringe writers do something weird, right? They they do something catchy to catch our attention to keep us wondering. But like this is beyond something catchy to keep us wondering. This is kind of crazy. So I don't know how I feel about this. So I'm conflicted, and I'll tell you exactly why. I think as a standalone episode, this episode rocks. It's great. It's a ton of fun. I feel like the reason they did it is that every year Fringe was always on the bubble, and this is like a backdoor pilot to Fringe 2.0 that Season 5 would become. So they were like, Fox, we're going to show you what we can do. And they, they thought the quickest shorthand to doing this was making the observers the big bad. And here is the thing where I think that if they had not done that, if they had made it that either a rogue group of observers or some sort of, you know, from their time, but known to the observers as being like a bad faction of people or like a different, a different interdimensional being were the bad guys who had enslaved humanity and the observers were still just observing because they've already seen all of this happen. They already knew that this was inevitable. I would have liked it way more. So just because I'm like the observers never thought to mention to anyone when they were intervening that, by the way, we are not just harmless observers who just observe. We do actually intervene in a big fucking way and we ruin your life 20 years from now. So that's the only thing where I'm like, I, I know the shorthand reason they did it is because they don't have to spend a lot of exposition on who these people are because we know who they are. They're the observers. But this does not work with everything that we know about the observer culture and observers and what they are and what they do and how time works for them. So I just thought if they had brought in a bunch of dudes in purple jumpsuits with purple hats and said, oh, shit, this is this is like a different interdimensional being who have traveled from the future to this moment. And we still saw an observer just watching this happen and not being the. The evil guys, I would have been like, oh, cool. So the observers are still watching and just our world fucking sucks because these other weird aliens showed up to mess with our timeline. I would have liked it a lot more. But the character beats work really well. So I like seeing this new team fringe who are trying to work on the outskirts because they are being policed by this other race that can read minds and doesn't allow you to explain yourself because they can tell what your intentions are and they'll shut shit down right away. They'll wipe you. Um, so I like that we see that. And by introducing the new team of Edda and Simon, I liked their dynamic. And it is early on that we see that Walter has been frozen in Amber and that they have to get him out to figure out if he can help this horrible situation they are in. So I love that Walter becomes important to the future, that everything he was doing is vitally important and that even 20 years after the timeline we're, nor we're normally used to, he is still important and he can still be of use. And him coming out and seeing how he is not quite all there, how things are a little wonky. He still loves licorice, 
but he's a little bit confused at times was great. I really liked that. I hated the makeup that they put on Broyles to make him look old. It was terrible. Like just every time they cut to him, I was like, you know what? Black don't crack. You didn't need to do this to Lance Reddick. You could have just had him look exactly the same. And I would have believed it was 20 years later, but the makeup they put on him was so distracting. And right around the eyes, you could see like the cracks in the makeup. I was like, gee, on Blu-ray, this was a tough hang, but I'm enjoying all of this. And of course for 90% of the runtime, we don't know who Edda is. Now, anyone listening to this podcast who hasn't watched Fringe before will know because Marcelo has mentioned Henrietta at least three other times on this podcast uh, when we have never had a hint of her until now. Um, but uh, I like that there is a moment about halfway where she mentions something about her parents and you start to be like, oh, okay. I think I can tell where they're going. And by the final scene, we do know where they are going because, yes, Etta is Henrietta Bishop, the daughter of Olivia Dunham and Peter Bishop. And she is continuing her parents' work because they disappeared when she was young because they were frozen and trapped in amber. So I do like this whole thing. And as we are trying to rebel against the observers, I like this idea of, the fringe team being the rogue faction who has to save the day in some capacity. And that is engaging and seeing William Bell encased in the Amber was a cool like nod that like, okay, this is still this like weird. Everything's kind of mixed up timeline. What are you thinking as we're really getting a lot of stuff in this new, completely foreign to us 2036. I really like the fact that after Etta and Desmond, I'll say for the sake of this conversation because I can't remember his name, Desmond pull Walter out of the amber, that because Walter has been on because Walter has been in the amber so long, his brain is degrading. And I love the fact that they have to break into massive dynamic to get the pieces of Walter's brain that William Bell took out. So after they did that, I was like, wait a minute, if they if they put back the pieces that William Bell took out of Walter, isn't that going to make Walter mad? Or isn't it? Isn't that going to make Walter not our Walter and make him more like Walter Net? So I so so I was really pleased. I was really afraid when they did that because I'm like, look, I know they're desperate, but do they really want Walter at full power? And I was like, you know what? They're desperate, so screw it. Walter at full power is better than a Walter that doesn't know what he's talking about. I really like once they put the pieces back in his brain, uh, you could almost tell immediately, like one of the first thing that he, one of the first things that he says to Desmond, I'm sorry, I don't know his name. Didn't you idiots disable the, um, the, the safety measure, the safety measures within massive dynamic. So the first thing he does is he lectures them for, 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 for not, for not, you know, taking care of the safety measures when they initially broke into massive dynamic. The other thing that I like about this this future controlled by the observers is the fact that the observers think that drinking water is just like drinking alcohol. It's the funniest thing ever because it's just water. But to them, they get some sick, perverted high out of drinking water. And I'm like, that. I, I wish that would happen. I would totally stop drinking alcohol if I could get drunk off water. So again, I'm again, I'm very, very confused as to why they did this. But Matt, you really, you really, you know, shed light as to why the fringe writers wanted to tell a story like this, because as you said, 
our beloved show was always on the bubble of getting canceled. They needed something big to show the network that uh, uh, we know that you're thinking about canceling us, but just before you do, this is what really we really can pull off. So I really like the way that you should have put that into perspective for me because I always forget that about the sh- I always forget that about this show that it was always on the bubble of getting canceled, and that's why they do sort of outrageous things in the back halves of seasons. Yeah, they do. And this is basically, you know, please give us another season. This is where we're taking things. We're going to shake it up to make it more interesting. And I really did like that part of the thing that they have to accomplish is getting those pieces of Walter's brain back because we have known about that. My only like half a second hesitation was like in the timeline that we've been in the remix timeline did Walter have those pieces of his brain taken out? Did he ever get that bad? Because we know that the Cortexafan trials weren't as widely publicized. We know that Walter, his past is slightly different because Peter died at a young age and things went different. I always, I just wondered, did that still happen? But apparently it did still happen. So I do like that when they get him back to full, as you said, he's a little bit surly and I like seeing Walter dishing it out. I think that that's a lot of fun. And then when they go and we see everybody encased in Amber, it's such a cool moment. And they're in this, you know, secret dig. It was a real head scratcher to me when we can't see who is all in there. So like, because they tried to keep this a little bit of a secret, you know, we see William Bell in close and then the first body they free is Astrid. And I'm like, "Uh, I call bullshit. I love Astrid, but was it just because she was the easiest to get out? But if we were on a ticking time timeline here, would Peter not be the first one that Edda was like, let's start with that guy. Let's start with my dad and then worry about Walter's assistant. <laughs> like I was just, okay. I'm sure that it was to create the tension and because we got Desmond for one episode. So we needed a moment where Desmond to save the day had to go into the Amber and push someone out. And that ends up being Peter. We don't find out that that's Peter until a scene later. So it is more dramatic and exciting. But when it's just Astrid that they free at first, I was like, oh, is, are we sure Lincoln's not in there? Is there anybody else with that less purpose we can pull out of the amber to help us stop the observers? Sorry, Astrid, I love you. But Peter Bishop or Olivia Dunham, I would take over Astrid in a draft for sure. For a split second, when uh, when they pulled out Astrid first, I. I had that same thought you did. I'm like, excuse me, guys. You guys are in a time crunch. The observers with their army, with their human army, are right, are about to descend on you. And you pull out this woman first. Now, granted, I love, you know, I love Astrid j- just as much as you do. But I'm like, why the hell didn't they pull out Olivia first? But again, but again, if they pulled out Olivia first, we wouldn't have that great moment that we have coming up here very, very shortly uh, next week. Right, and if they pulled Olivia out first, Anatorv wouldn't have got a week off that apparently everybody had in their contract to take at least one full episode break because that's seemingly the MO here where we can't have a full team all the time, only 70% of the time, and the other time it's a rotating roster. The other thing the other thing that I liked very, very much, and this is just a bad robot thing, so if you're not a fan of bad robot, you're not going to get this this thing that I wanted to happen. But when when uh, but when Edda was talking to Desmond for the sake of this conversation, he mentions he mentions 
the name of his wife. And I'm like, good God, why the hell didn't they say his wife's name was Penny? If they would have said that, I would have lost my goddamn mind. But they didn't say it. And I'm like, oh, listen, listen, listen. All, all, you know, Akiba Goldsman or J.H. Wyman had to do was call up J.J. Or, you know, and I'm like, give, like, give me a name. That's, oh, that would have been great. Again, again, I know I'm whining for one little goddamn thing, but I would have loved that. And yeah, I even thought when he was talking about his wife and he did say her name, I was like, it would have been better if he didn't even name her because then we could have just imagined that it was somehow connected. And this was this was the other side's version of Desmond Hume, who had for some reason changed his name to Simon. But I did appreciate that we got a new opening title sequence with the observers ruling. And instead of fringe science things, um, we got the stuff that was outlawed, like education, private thought, imagination and stuff are the words. So I like that it was all the things that are outlawed because the observers do not allow it. Although observing is clearly not the name we should use for them in this timeline going forward because... They are doing much more than observing, but we will have to see what they have up their sleeves for the rest of the season as we get into the last little bit here. Next week, we will be talking about episode 20, Worlds Apart, and episode 21, Brave New World Part 1. So the finale of Fringe this season was split into two and aired over two weeks. So next week, we are talking about the first half, Brave New World Part 1. And two weeks from now, we will be talking about part two. Thank you guys for listening. We appreciate it. If you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, please reach out to us using the hashtag Radio815 or on Twitter at JJUniverse815. Like, follow, subscribe, share, comment wherever you get podcasts or on YouTube. You can listen to our back episodes, youtube.com. Just search Radio815 if you want to get in touch with me. For now, Twitter is an okay place to do it at Matt Crandall. Marcelo, you're still hanging around on Twitter. How can the people reach out to you? If if you want to talk to me, you can also reach me on Twitter. I'm at CreekFanatic88. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, Radio 815 over and out. Radio 815 is a Balloonhead Productions presentation in association with Killer Newt Productions.